Let's open God's word together and worship him by reading it in faith and with submission. 1 Timothy 3, page 1178 in your pew Bibles. Page 1178. 1 Timothy 3, verse 1 through 4, verse 6. Our text this morning is 1 through 6 of chapter 4. You'll notice the importance of godliness in this section, and especially in the part that's coming up in the rest of chapter 4. But the whole book really is devoted to godliness in the Christian faith. 1 Timothy 3. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first and then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children in their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon. But I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Now, or but, the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. This is God's word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives. Beloved congregation, the church is the pillar and buttress of the truth. The only society of ultimate truth in this world. For all the nations 
and the eight billions or whatever people across the globe, there's only one place to find the real and ultimate truth about God, how to get rid of your sin and become right with God, about this world, what it is, and how to use it for God's glory. Only one place where you can find out how to live the right way, God's way. And that's the church. Not because the church is the source of truth. It's the pillar and buttress. It's the house where the truth, the Bible is stored, is given. And then to think we get to belong to that household. Amazing. And to think that maybe you're even called to be a leader in that household. What a privilege and responsibility. And what is that truth that's been given to us in Scripture and to guard and defend? It's the mystery of godliness. Verse 16. That's the essence of it. He, Christ, was manifested in the flesh. Vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels. Proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world and taken up into glory. Jesus came in the flesh, was crucified for us, risen, gave the great commission, sent us out to all the world and was taken up into heaven there. That's where the godliness of an elder and a deacon and of all God's people comes from. It's in Christ. But, says chapter 4, now or but, there's an assault on that true pathway to godliness, which is Christ, by false teachers, doctrines of demons which are proposing another route to godliness. Timothy, you must wage war in Ephesus. So we want to see that this morning. The antithesis between the true route to godliness, Christ, 3 verse 16, and the false route to godliness by demonic spirits. So we want to fight Satan's demonic deception and teach God's good creation. Those two things. We must fight Satan's demonic deception. Now the spirit or but, the spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from this faith, this truth that faith believes. The mystery of godliness. By devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Not just being attracted, but just by throwing themselves into it and saying, this is, this is the way. Devoting themselves. First, when does the spirit say this will happen? In later times. Paul says, these later times are here. It's, it's creeping into the church at Ephesus. In the Bible, the latter times, the time between Christ's ascension and return, it's now, this whole time, what we call sometimes the millennium. We're facing it. 
all these years. Second, where does the Spirit expressly say this? Everywhere in Scripture, the Spirit of Christ warns us against being deceived by false teachings and falling away. Jesus said that. Jesus said that to his disciples, Mark 13, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Be on guard, I have told you all things beforehand. The Holy Spirit is very clear. There are many warnings to be alert against false teachings, deceptive demons. Because the church... All through history is just too readily sucked up. Whatever new, whatever new idea or movement comes along and purports to be like a super path to God. A path of extra enlightenment, extra victory. Wow. And we buy the books. And we listen to the podcasts and we absorb these doctrines of demons and the warning is slowly fall away, depart from the faith. Third, why does the Spirit give this warning? They're destructive to faith. Some will depart from the faith. And they're highly deceptive. They don't come earmarked with a Surgeon General's warning like on a package of cigarettes. Beware, the stuff is deadly. It's harmful to your soul. If you consume this, you will shipwreck your faith. No, no, no warnings like that. The doctrines of demons always come wrapped in truth. Maybe you're Old enough to remember Herbert W. Armstrong and the Worldwide Church of God and that magazine, The Plain Truth. That duped a lot of people because the moral teachings were very conservative and very good. But inside was a rejection of the whole Bible, of God, of the message of salvation. But people got duped. Because of the nice wrapping. Or Mormonism with its family values. Destructive heresies wrapped in truth. Or do you remember the hour of power, Robert Schuller? Humanist teaching, the power of positive thinking was the core of his message. Sin is just a lack of self-esteem. That's all it is. Wrapped in a Christian flag of Christian music and the appearance of Christian worship and millions were hoodwinked. And on and on. Satan's such a good liar. And the Spirit expressly says, watch out. Does it feel good? Does it sound good? Does it have truth bites in it? Stop. Study. Look deep. Don't be duped. 
But the agents of these deceptive spirits, these demons, are people always. Notice these people who depart from the faith devote themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars, people whose consciences are seared. They're insincere. They, they dupe people for personal gain, like climate activists who travel the world in gas-powered limos and planes telling you to stop using fossil fuels. So these guys lived promiscuous lives in the lap of luxury while telling their people to live lives of self-denial. The apostles of self-denial rarely live the lives of self-denial. But these Doctrines of demons come to you through smiling faces. People who appear appear very sincere and very solemn and very sound. In the university or college classroom, watch out. In podcasts and internet surfing, be alert. All that glitters, congregation, is not gold. Because behind the facade of the teacher who deals out wonderful recipes for living a powerfully spiritual life, godliness of a close walk with God, is it real or is there a demon? Is it Christ-centered or rules and human works-centered? That's what we're getting to with this deception. So what are these doctrines of demons? It must be something really horrible. Look look at verse 3. It's just these guys that forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods, which in those days would be a vegetarian diet, rejecting meat. You read about that in, in Romans 14. Well, oh, okay. That's probably not that good, but... Doctrines of demons? Paul, you are going way over the top. No. These are doctrines of demons. Because they look so good. But they draw you away from the mystery of godliness. Christ is your way to purity. Crucified and risen from the dead and taken up into heaven for you. He's the source. He's the power. Not rules of living. Not forbidding marriage and requiring abstinence from certain foods. That way of life is called asceticism. Achieving godliness by denying yourself gifts of the material world. That's what asceticism is. It had a pagan background. Soul and spirit are good. Stuff, material creation is bad. Salvation means getting rescued from this physical world and becoming pure spirit. Many of these teachers taught Jesus would never take on flesh because flesh is evil. The body is evil. He just appeared to be flesh. And so that's what these teachers were teaching. Avoid 
flesh, the desires of the body. Stay away from meat, stay away from marriage and from all sexual intimacy. It's a drag on your soul. It hurts your communion with God. It's sin. And by rejecting marriage and meat and other things, you can become pure soul, free of earthly bodily appetites, reaching higher perfection. It's almost like Buddhism. Again, godliness, they taught, does not come from resting in Christ's finished work, which is at work in you who believe and know the truth. No, godliness comes from your own works, working hard to stay away from this and that. Paul talks about that kind of asceticism in Colossians 2, these rules. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Your rigorous acts of self-denial, your rigorous, your strict routines, your very conservative lifestyle, your rejection of computers, phones, movies, relationships, vacations, the combustion engine, alcohol, dairy, meat, eggs, and whatever long list of rules people can come up with for your life. It's a substitute religion, and that's why it's demonic. Because salvation and sanctification are in Christ alone and trading it, trading it in for salvation and sanctification by a bunch of rules, man-made rules. That are supposed to elevate you spiritually and bring you into a victorious life of a closer walk with God. It's fraudulent. We must fight this teaching of godliness through demonic deception. That if you just put in place this diet and this routine and these strict rules for living, and if you avoid marriage. You can become pure soul. You can enter into a higher relationship with God. What an attack on Christ. The creator. The creator. We see secondly, we must teach the truth of God's good creation. You see, the ascetics. These insincere liars they put the problem in the wrong spot they said sin is in creation it's in the material world if you stay away from it you're okay that was pharisee doctrine you don't drink from those cups and don't you know eat with unwashed hands you're safe you're clean jesus said no sin doesn't come from the outside in it comes from goes from the inside out it starts in the heart. That's where the problem is. Sin isn't in the creation. Sin is in the heart. So if you expect to find holiness and celibacy and vegetarianism, you'll be greatly disappointed because sinful lusts will continue to rage in your soul and control your appetites. And they'll give you no power against 
sin. But so Paul says in Colossians 2, these rules do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, are of no, though, though they have the appearance of wisdom, they look kind of smart. Oh, that's a powerful recipe for change. That's what they'll advertise and that's what we'll believe. They have an appearance of wisdom, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh, he says. Only Jesus, crucified and risen, can give that to you. It's the true way of God. That's the mystery of godliness. That's how to grow and mature as a Christian. It's a, the way to live and grow as an elder, a deacon, or any one of God's children. So Paul writes, these insincere liars... Forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. How do you get saved? How do you grow, believe, and know the truth? The truth of Christ. The truth that Paul already spoke about in chapter 1, verse 15. The trustworthy saying deserving of All acceptance, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. This truth, he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up into glory. Salvation and sanctification are not Accomplished by climbing up the ladder toward God, but by trusting in Jesus who climbed down the ladder to you. Jesus manifested in our flesh. There's the power. Now, the next part of the chapter, he's going to talk about how we need to discipline ourselves to focus on Christ. That's a whole different matter than these man-made rules. But believing and knowing the truth of the gospel sets you free to enjoy the creation. The creation isn't the problem. Our hearts. And if Jesus sets your heart free to your faith in him and knowing his truth, then you can receive the creation and use it in a whole new way for his glory with thanksgiving. Christ sets you free to enjoy creation. Avoiding creation doesn't set you free to enjoy God. Not at all. That's the lie. Of course, enjoying God's good creation isn't a license to sin. We must always receive God's creation in a way that agrees with his will and has his approval, right? We must never enjoy sexual intimacy outside of marriage, nor become dependent on alcohol or gluttonous with our food or view money as the avenue to a happier life. That's an abuse of creation. That's not receiving it with thanksgiving. That's not believing and knowing the truth. Only Christ can set us free to handle the creation well. That's why he saved us. Because we were mishandling it. 
And he saved us to send us back into it to enjoy it and use it for his glory. And one day to enter into paradise, which is what the new creation, birds, trees, fruit, people, rivers, lakes, all in the presence of God. So then to conclude the three principles in the doctrine of godliness is that when you believe and know the truth as it is in Jesus he set you free to see that creation is good first of all creation is good Jesus didn't come to rescue us from creation but he entered into it to bring us back into a right relationship with the creator and the creation. Jesus himself is the creator. All things were made through him. And Isaiah 6, we read, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. The whole earth is full of what? His glory. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, against those who reject meat as immoral, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Gerard Manley Hopkins wrote, the world is charged with the grandeur of God. And I'm sure you're going to learn that in grade 10 English this year. Or some English course. Somebody writes, we're called to celebrate creation's goodness in heaven and earth. The stars and flowers and vegetables and animals and lakes and rivers and fish and forest and gender and marriage and sexual intimacy and family and friends and food. That's the first. Creation is good. Jesus set you free to see creation is good. Second, so don't reject anything but receive everything with thanksgiving. It's not creation that's bad, but how we receive it that's bad. Because sin corrupts how we see and use what God has made so we can view it and use it so badly. You can view a man or a woman as an object of lust or a tree as an object of worship. But our bad isn't creation's bad. But when we believe and know the truth, can see a man or a woman through new eyes and a tree through new eyes and all of creation with new eyes and receive it with thanksgiving. Christ has set us free from our sin so we can look at everything with new eyes and use it thankfully. And that's one of the purposes of a Christian education, isn't it? Teaching us how to look at God's creation with new eyes through Bible glasses. What is a giraffe and what's it for? Important question. What's a tree and what's it for? What's an egg? What's a human being? What's a brain? What are emotions? What's a family? What's technology? What are these for? How does God want us to see these and look at them and use them for his glory? God doesn't forbid us. But he saves us. And then sends us to serve him in all creation. And then one more thing, it's made holy by the word of God in prayer. Isn't that why we set apart our meals by scripture reading and prayer? It's made holy by the word of God in prayer. It's not that your prayer and the reading of the Bible suddenly makes your food holy, otherwise it's poison. 
It's not magic. It just means that we receive it as holy. We receive it as holy and dedicate it to God's glory. When we offer it up to God with his word and in prayer. That's why it's important not only to open and close meals in prayer, but also our school day, our work day. There's so much of God's good creation that we're going to be learning and touching today and using. We want to do it well. There's a hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, that says, when you become a Christian, the things of this world grow strangely dim. And someone pointed me to a quote from Randy Elkhorn in his book, Happiness. Where he comments on this hymn, as I've walked with God over the years, the sin-centered and shallow attractions of the earth have indeed grown dimmer. But the happy-making beauty of the earth's animals, trees, flowers, oceans, and sky, of friends, family, good stories, music, and food have grown brighter. As I've trusted in Jesus, and Jesus has worked himself into my life more and more, the sinful attractions grow dimmer, but the beauty of creation grows brighter. Well, I hope in our school year this year, we have eyes of Jesus, Bible eyes, to see the goodness of creation, but also to turn from the wrong use of it, the idolatrous use of it. So conclusion, your godliness comes through Christ and is in him, brothers and sisters, not from the material world or from avoiding the material world. Well, you say, forbidding marriage and forbidding foods It's a doctrine of demons, and, and, and they're given to us to enjoy, but I have allergies. Or marriage is not an option for me right now. What about me? One day your allergies will be gone, if not this life, then in the next. And all the foods of the new creation will be for you. And there'll be no allergy that will stop you. Set your heart on Christ, not on food. And you'll be given grace to be content even in the midst of the struggles of this life in this world. But what about marriage? That's not an option for me. What about that? Important to remember again. Our happiness, our fullness is not found in the creation, not in marriage, but in Christ, our true husband. Ask him for contentment and satisfaction in him. And one day, there will be no more marriage in the new creation because the intimacy of God's people with God and one another is far more than marriage could ever bring here in this life. Well, you have to look up and we have to look forward And still rejoice in all the good gifts of God that we see around us, even if we personally are not able right now to enjoy them. That's what it is to believe and know the truth. We've been set free.
to enjoy and use the creation in a God-glorifying way and also to be able to handle the limitations that are, have been placed in our lives. This is the mystery of godliness. Not rules about food and drink. That doesn't make you godly. But resting in the work of Christ and asking him to work in you, the power of his death, put your sin to death, and his resurrection, bring you to closer communion, fellowship with God. There's the mystery. There's the source. There's the power. Let's enjoy him. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that every false path to godliness has been made void and useless and proved false through the true path to godliness, our Lord Jesus Christ, who came down to earth to lift us up to heaven. Thank you for him. Help us to rest in him alone and in his name to see and enjoy all that you've put in our lives, all that we see around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.